Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast, and we are here to recap the big one, MLS Cup. It looked like it was going to go a different way until the closing seconds of the game, but that's what we love MLS for. One of the most ridiculous games in league history, probably the best game in league history, as LAFC, first-time champs, uh, win at 3-3 three, uh, three, and then in penalties over the Philadelphia Union uh, last Saturday. What a game that was, and that's really the only place to start. Later, we will have some MLS moves, uh, free agency and expansion draft stuff has happened uh, in the week after MLS Cup. So there's a few things to touch on there. And uh, USMNT roster, the uh, the one that really matters for the World Cup, has been released. So we'll touch on that at the end. But we want to spend the majority of this podcast talking about the thing that we spent hours uh, talking about recently, which is MLS Cup and the culmination of the MLS Cup playoffs. LAFC or champs, Matt, what did you see in this game? And honestly, I think the story is MLS is awesome. And when you have as much craziness as we had, it just makes for amazing television. Absolutely. This was the best display of just pure excitement about soccer that we've had in the U.S. that's not related to a national team in a long time. Uh, I have not seen a more entertaining match that was as back and forth and just absolute haymakers going each way um and it just a couple of key moments broke for lafc um and you know i gotta give him a little bit of credit max crepo put his body on the line and i think that that's the moment that saved this for lafc he went off with a horrible injury so thoughts go out to him was red carded but that goal being prevented is the reason the LAFC is champs today. Um, so, yeah, just an absolutely entertaining match of soccer. Anders, what do you see in this one? I don't, I don't even know where to start. I mean, it was, there was so much going on. Um, it had already been a, a really pretty entertaining game, uh, just getting in through, through the 90 minutes when they finished 2-2 with the, with the two late goals, uh, LAFC... At the 82nd minute, looks like they're going to win, uh, win the cup, and then the Union come back, you know, three or four minutes later, and 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 even it back up, and we go into extra time, and you're already thinking, wow, that was that was already really entertainment, uh, an entertaining game, and then the wheels just kind of, uh, I don't want to say they, the wheels came off, but it just got wild when you look at, you know, obviously the dog so red card and the injury and the 123rd minute, what looked like was going to be a winner. Uh, and then Gareth Bale coming on, uh, not really doing a whole lot except for scoring an equalizer like 127 minutes in. Uh, and then all the way to John McCarthy, a Philadelphia kid, uh, replacing Cripo and being the hero in PKs. Just, uh, you know, things that you expect to see in a Disney movie or in a Netflix documentary, not necessarily in real life. Um, and I think awesome for the league to showcase what all of us that follow have seen that it can it can be wildly entertaining uh it can have swings back and forth and in this case with the with the mls cup on the line which is the highest stakes uh, possible so just a really fun 
three hours uh, of soccer uh, on Saturday afternoon. Crazy that the the goals really came from some of the ugliest moments in in the match. I uh, you know the first goal, uh, Kellen Acosta puts a ball, uh, you know maybe from twenty five thirty yards out, um, really into the wall, and Jack McGlynn unfortunately gets a gets a bit of it to the face after he turns, and that sets Andre Blake off, and then. After that, exactly like you're, like you're talking about, this game really came down to set pieces first because although there were a lot of chances created, both these teams defend, defended them pretty well. I think that that's one of the things that's kind of interesting. We always know that uh, set pieces have an outsized impact in one-off games, but I've never seen it to this extent. Five out of the six goals, right? Yeah. And a set piece. Um, and and that's a good reminder... Yeah. It's a good reminder going now as we approach the World Cup, how how outsized of importance these tournament in these finals uh, elimination type games set pieces have. It's just it's a good reminder that these games where the teams are fairly even, a lot of the times it comes down to executing on set pieces and not losing concentration um, or lucky bounce here or there. So just you know, one of those things that. You you forget when you're watching over the course of a, of a regular season uh, where team quality tends to win out. Uh, when you get into tournament play, uh, one or two set pieces here or there makes or breaks you, and, and we'll see it again now in a couple of weeks in Qatar. Absolutely. A couple things stood out to me, really two that I want to touch on in fuller detail. I'm interested in getting your thoughts on this too. Number one is the quality, right? Um, the, the goals were scrappy. The game wasn't really that scrappy. It wasn't that dirty. You know, sometimes games can kind of devolve into street fights. This one wasn't a street fight, really. Um, but just looking around the pitch and the quality, you have multiple guys going to the World Cup, guys who are, guys like Kai Wagner, who are going to transfer into a top five league, right, this offseason. You have up-and-comers like McGlynn, who are going to be something big in a couple years. And, and you just have just dotted around the pitch, particularly on LAFC when we talk about World Cup players, but everywhere you just have really, really good talent that we haven't had um, in this kind of culmination where you look at LAFC, a ton of talent there. But then you look at the Union, different kind of talent, less like the show-stopping names, but still a really solid team of guys who have come from Europe, play for their national teams, that kind of stuff. So it was that talent that was the number one thing for me. And number two is there was nothing between these teams this season, right? The first game, 2-2 draw in L.A. On points this season, both finished on, was it 64, 67 points at the uh, top of the league? It was only the wins tiebreaker that separated them for Supporter Shield. And now in MLS Cup Final, they always had an answer for each other. It goes to 3-3. And the only thing that could break these teams, break the difference between these teams this season was a penalty kick shootout uh, in the last minutes of the MLS season. That's how close these teams were over the course of the season. And that's what made it awesome that it can come down to something like this. It didn't have to, you know, while I love the European structure of their leagues, you know, it might have ended on a tiebreaker, right? But we got to see these two teams actually, you know, battle it out, punch for punch, match each other every step of the way until like the dying moments and that is what i really you know that's what stuck with me is 
this could have gone either way because that's how good these teams were, and that's how closely matched these two teams were from the jump this season. Matt, do you have thoughts on that? I, it's really, really interesting because both teams also had major pieces missing out. But even then, like the quality was not a huge difference. So we going into this match, we were talking about two major um, lineup decisions that were going to kind of make a pretty big impact. Um, and one being Sebastian Ibiaga over Chiellini uh, and the other being Jack McGlynn over on uh, Ali Bedoya. And I feel like the the step down in quality was kind of similar in 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 what they were trying to do. Um, I, this is just it's such an entertaining time when you see two teams that are playing so well at what they want to do. You saw LA sit back, absorb, and then try to go forward. You saw uh, specifically Jose Martinez uh, try to break this up and and make it. The, you say that there wasn't you know the the ugliness to the game. But there was an initial attempt to muck up the works. But then I think he got just a little bit of a a last warning a little bit too early in the game. Um, But I think that all of those things contributed to that very, very even matchup. And then the fact that both these teams looked like they were kind of tense coming out of the gate. Yeah, Andres, thoughts on any of that and kind of just the the idea that, you know, even despite the losses, there's quality and that you know, with that quality, it created an incredibly equal match. I think that's that's part of why we were all looking forward to it so much because they had been uh, they had been so good and so even throughout the course of the year. And you look up and down the lineup uh, and saw so much quality and 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 a real you know a real competitiveness to this MLS Cup final, where maybe other years you have a clear favorite and maybe a clear underdog. Uh, and in this one, it was it was much more. You you would probably have given it a little bit to LAFC just because they were home, but not based on the quality of the team. And, and just before we move on from from that, from the quality and the talent on the field, uh, I'm gonna take a second here to acknowledge Andre Blake again, uh, because the Eastern Conference final, you know, NYC gets that first goal, and like three minutes later, he makes a huge save to keep it one nothing. Um, and it might get forgotten in this match because of the way that it all ended um, in that crazy extra time. But LAFC gets that first goal uh, you know, 20-something minutes in off the uh, Acosta-deflected shot. And a few minutes later, there's another chance and Audrey Blake gets down and makes another incredible goal. I don't remember who the, the shot came off of. But you're thinking of that that was Buanga. What Was it a Buanga shot? I believe so, because that was coming in off the left-hand side following, uh, I think, some kind of set piece. Um, just kind of looped the ball over the back line. And, uh, yeah, yes. Andre Blake stepped up in a massive way. And that kept it one nothing. Um, and before the match, Jim Curtin had talked about when you, when you go down to LAFC, teams start to get nervous and sell out, and then that one goal can become two and three, and it can get out of hand. And Andre Blake in that moment, keeping them at one nothing, really I think provided a huge boost, uh, which eventually turns into that one one uh, scoreline that we see later on. So once again, it ends up not working out in penalties. Um, it ends up being a three goal uh, match, uh, you know, for for the LAFC for LAFC. But in that moment, I think Blake was huge to keep him in the game and keep him going. Um, just another 
example of why he's probably the best keeper in the league. I think that point about you know going to LAFC and crumbling is so well taken because the noise, the thirty-two fifty-two, it's just it's so intimidating, you know, for any player in the world, right? Like you you have people come over like Gareth Bale like in that first game. Remember, we were all looking at and watching him watch the supporters and clearly being impressed. Like it is a no matter where you take it in the world, an impressive supporters group and an impressive stadium to play in, and. When the union let up that first goal as a union fan, I was scared that it just wasn't going to be it because, you know, this is their moment to just start to dominate and take over the game and be and, you know, be buoyed by that um, home su- uh, home support. And just I-, I thought it could fall off. The wheels could fall off, but it really didn't. And that's credit not just to Blake, but to the entire team, you know, for the play for the rest of that first half getting it to a point of stabilization, getting it to a point where, yeah, they score, but then we're able to slow down the game, keep it under control, and don't let LAFC just get off and running every time they get the ball, and then you start you just you start to fall into this trap that they've set so many uh, times you know, over the course of the season to a whole host of teams, right? LAFC has beaten very, very good teams at their place in big ways because they had that intimidation factor and the union didn't let that get to them in the biggest game. And that's really a testament to their mental strength, um, not just their strength, uh, uh, you know, physically and playing on the field. Um, Matt, I, I am interested in getting your take on um, uh, the, the kind of thought just before we move on, like the uh, equality of the teams and particularly the talent on the field, because I was thinking, because uh, you were saying, like, yeah, there's nothing, or Andre was saying, there's nothing separating the talent. If you showed, you know, LAFC's roster to, like, a European fan of some European league and Phillies to some, to that same fan, they would Wouldn't say that LAFC has close. such the upper hand. But I think it is a, it is interesting when you compare um, the the roster builds and how these two teams have built these rosters that, like, yeah, it is, an, it is you know, effectively an equal roster, even though you look at LAFC and the names just jump off the page. Yeah, there's there's a, a you know certain other team in in the Los Angeles area that some of the transfer activity kind of makes you think of from LAFC. Um, they they certainly have some some galactic power about them. Uh, but then you you take a look at the Philadelphia side, who have been very very meticulous in who they bring, how they scout, and how they generate talent. So all of those pieces fit in really, really well together because of the fact that you have the continuity of having Jim Curtin there for years. Uh, uh, Ernst Tanner has been there for quite a while and has really built that team in his profile. Um, and having that continuity is really what makes, you know, I think the third lowest um, salary budget in the league have such an outsized performance. That's, I think that having that ability to really be smart about the way that they use their resources is the reason that we're talking about Philly in this way. Um, and then you also, you know, get to pick up incredible talents like uh, Julian Carranza when they, <laughs> they are just recognizing a distressed asset, being able to pick that up from Miami. That's also just smart roster building. LAFC is also smart roster building because of the fact that they are good enough. That's that's what holds them together. Um, and you have to give, you know, Trundle a heck of a nod. Like, maintaining and managing all of those personalities and all of those 
you know, all of those stars to be able to play cohesively together takes a ton of know-how, a ton of expertise in dealing with people. That's a really, really well job, well done job by uh, Trundle as well. Both these yeah, first coach that season. you know, yeah, yeah, first year coach. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, like it, this, it's not easy. You know, managing these names is not easy, right? But when your subs are Gareth Bale, Kwaduapoku, and uh, Christian Teo, like, come on now. That's almost unfair, right? When your two weights are Teo, who is a La Liga level player, right, just has come in in, in, in the past, what, couple months from Real Betis, where he, he played games, right, for that club. Like, he was not just a bench player for the entirety of his career. Like, he started and played for them with regularity. Gareth Bale, you know everything about him. Apoku is one of the youngsters that, you know, we're looking to make the jump in the next couple years. That other midfielder is Jose Cifuentes, right? Rumors to Brighton. It just is so much to handle. And the union, credit to them, were able to deal with it, you know, even with tired legs. But at the end, I, uh, I think Matt Doyle made a good point. Jack Elliott on tired legs is just not going to be able to jump with Gareth Bale, right? One of the one of the most physically gifted wingers of this generation. It's just hard to do, and that's what ended up, you know, costing the Union the game. Andres, uh, interested in branching off somewhere else? Where do you want to take the conversation as it pertains to this? I, I think you could go in the direction of, you know, you talked about goalkeeping. John McCarthy comes in. The, the just the story there is amazing. But coming in for Crepeau in that moment, what do you think that takes, right? Because just both the mental aspect of it and, you know, saving penalties is no easy task. That is a science. How do you think he was able to do it? Yeah, so with the McCarthy story, there's there's a, a ton there to unpack. Uh, first of all, I, did you guys remember or know that John McCarthy was the backup for LAFC? I certainly didn't remember. Um, no. That's the first time I've ever heard of this guy. So he 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 was playing for Inter Miami the last couple of years, on and off as a starter. Uh, but maybe Joey remembers this. He he was a union keeper who we remember. A, yeah, he was a he was a PK specialist, um, and they actually subbed him on. Um, they they took off Blake and put him in for a PK shootout in the Open Cup you know, four or five years back. So this is what he's known for. Um, I just didn't remember that he was on the roster because Capo's been healthy all year. Um, there hasn't really been questions about who who's playing for LAFC. Um, and to see him come on uh, and, and actually give up a goal in the 10 minutes that he's playing, uh, but then, then to come into the penalty uh, shootout where he's at his best against his former team, against his you know, hometown club uh, and just come up in a huge moment. You know, I, I, I'm not a goalkeeper. I don't know what, what it takes mentally, but it's gotta be so satisfying to, to have that opportunity, which I'm sure he was not expecting um, and to take full advantage of it. And it's gotta be a record, right? For a fewest amount of minutes played uh, by an MLS cup MVP. There's, there's no way anybody's played less than 10 um, and given up a goal in that 10 and still come out uh, as MVP. So, it's really a, it's an incredible story. Uh, it came out of nowhere. And, and it's one of those things that, one of those things that you realize why we like sports or why we love sports. Uh, no other, you know, avenue gives you this type of story uh, from 
you know, half an hour before being completely forgotten about to being the complete hero half an hour later. It's just incredible. Yeah. And, and I think the, the underrated or the biggest moment of this match, because penalties are, are penalties. We know how tense those situations can be. Um, but really, I think what the, the moment that gave LAFC the mental edge was in the 128th minute, Gareth Bale coming on and making that, that goal. That was, if he did not make that goal, still probably the best MLS Cup of all time. The fact that he came on, got over all six foot six of, of uh, you know, an admittedly tired Elliot, who also had two goals on the match and was incredible here. Um, that he got up and put that goal. That moment is going to live in my head forever because I don't know if I've seen a more impactful moment in this league. That's just an incredible 25 seconds to see Palacios burning guys down the wing to get that in. Just that was magical. And then just to see the environment in the bank go from one of we were so close to, oh no, this is ours. This is our moment. This is our cup. This will never get out of our grasp. That was incredible. Just one of the greatest sports moments I've ever seen. I was nervous going to penalties, right? Uh, and I, I do remember back to the penalty kick shootout in the second round versus Nashville that the Union played uh, last year. And Union won that one. Nashville, I don't know if they scored a penalty. It might have been the same, like, 4-3 or 3-0. It was something ridiculous, like, where Blake saved two and they skied two or something like that. Um, And I had that going in my head, and at the same time, I'm like, well, they just came back and they scored. Generally, teams that make a comeback like that, you know, they have that kind of mental edge, that kind of, you know, feeling of destiny, and that even though the, the destiny part, I don't believe necessarily, that can you know, change your mental state to be one of confidence, one of, you know, if you feel like you can do it or you feel like you have to do it, then that can kind of spur you on uh, in a physical sense. And I think that that definitely was a big part of why they ended up winning uh, in the penalties. But then they missed the first. And I'm like, as a union fan, I'm like, oh, that should be all that momentum out the window. And then Gazdog slips. And I'm like, okay, we're yeah, we're right back to where we started. They have all the momentum now. You, you can't slip on a penalty, and that's that's when it really, really turned. Um, just quickly on John McCarthy's match log for this year, just because I was interested. Four twenty 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 two, a five one win uh, against Orange County in the Open Cup. McCarthy played all ninety. Then uh, a little bit later, May the fourteenth, twenty twenty two. He played 90 versus Colorado in MLS. And then he played about, what, 10, 15 minutes in MLS Cup Final. Saves uh, three penalties, is the penalty kick hero, and LAFC are now champions. That's kind of a, uh, that's, that, that's a character arc for the year, I would say. Um, Andres, anything more on this, or anything more you want to touch on on the game? Yeah, there was, a, there was an interesting moment. So I'm obviously a, a neutral neutral observer, usually a pretty interested neutral observer, but not necessarily emotional when I'm watching games. Um, even even for teams that I root for, I tend to be pretty pretty calm about things. And I realized myself 
you know, about a hundred six, seven, you know, starting into that second half of extra time, feeling a little bit nervous, just watching the game, thinking, man, this is really coming down to to the end here. It, it was it was two two at that point, um, and you can just feel the nerves kind of building up in the stadium and everything, and and I and I can feel them myself. And I was thinking, man, these players have got to be, one, getting pretty tired, uh, and two, uh, you know, feeling the pressure around this time. About 30 seconds later was when uh, Murillo underhits the back pass, which leads to the Doxo red card and the injury to Kripo. And it was just one of those moments where you you could feel that the enormity of the, of the moment was going to get to somebody. Um, and unfortunately, it led to a to a pretty bad injury, um, but I think it also validates that that these guys were were really caring and putting it all out there at, at that point. And and at that point, there had already been the huge swings uh, for the two for the two one and the two two. Um, you're thinking about penalties, uh, the crowds getting on edge, um, and it's just kind of another moment that encapsulates you know what a big what a big game and what a big moment uh, this this whole event was. Uh, and I think just to add on to that, we've spent now, what, half an hour talking about MLS Cup final. We haven't talked about an 87-minute equalizer or an 82nd-minute header to go ahead. That's how many big moments came after that. Uh, and it's just it's just a testament to what an incredibly crazy and entertaining game this was. Um, and one last thought I have before, before we move on. Uh, I was surprised with some of the moves, some of the substitutions that Chirondolo made. Um, specifically, bringing Teo on um, for Acosta, which kind of made me scratch my head a little bit just because of how how consistent Acosta's been for LAFC. Um, and, and bringing Bale on for Vela. Uh, Vela, the face of the franchise, you know, star player for five years. Bale's barely played. Uh, clearly, Chirondolo was not concerned uh, with winning or losing with the guys that got him there. He was willing to take the risk. Um, and Tejo was one. I thought very, very good. Once he came on, he was super uh, aggressive, pressing the ball forward and in the center of the, of the field. I thought he was, he was excellent. And then Bale gets the equalizer right at the end. So that took some guts from Chirondolo, and and I was questioning it in the moment, and it really paid off for him. Yeah, I, I respect everything about LAFC, and I think the depth, the coaching, the questions, right, that we had how, you know, when the roster moves happened, how is this going to affect the team, uh, especially moving to playoffs, and Terendel coming at the beginning of the season, how is he going to fit in as a coach into this environment that was, wasn't was great last year uh, and led to Bob Bradley leaving, and he comes in, I, he's passed with flying colors, the the depth is the reason why they are MLS Cup champions at this point, right? You just mentioned that, you know, Bale is not on the field. I'm not sure who's going to win that header. Um, it, it, the the moves that they've made over the course of the season has have led to this moment, and you just got to tip your cap. Uh, Matt, final thoughts on this game. And quickly, if you want to touch on, uh, Jack Elliott scored two goals. I mean, how about it? Yeah. A, a monster day for him, truly. Like, and it's it's <laughs> soccer's a really cruel sport that the moment that is probably going to live in every bit of league marketing for the rest of you know existence for the rest of Jack's life unfortunately like 
unfortunately, it's going to be that last Gareth Bale goal. Um, but that denies so much of what he and Glessness did to make this team so, so solid. LAFC had several chances. Very few of them were quality, though. And that was coming from those two guys, Jose Martinez and Andre Blake. That that lower group of four, they were great on the day. And it's just just exactly what uh, Andres was saying. The moments just shone through. Um, the, the other thing that I do want to just touch on that I think LAFC realizing that you need to have experience within this league is a massive credit to where MLS is today. Um, who do you, when we talk about the biggest signings that LAFC made, as far as, you know, namesake and, and, uh, excitement, you know, it's Chiellini, it's Bale, it's, it's Buanga. But if we're talking to the biggest impact, it's, it's Acosta, it's Ilya, uh, Ryan Hollingshead has been incredible this season. It's Max Cropo. Like it is great to see a team who their model is looking international and doing it very, very well, realize, oh, we need to have this other thing, these interleague deals that have made them from a good team into a great team. That's I, I just I love seeing that. I'm so happy that this league is in that place now. That's really exciting to me. Yeah. And just to kind of wrap up thoughts on MLS Cup, uh before we move on to other crazy MLS stuff. Um, I do briefly just want to touch on the fact that talk about guys that have been incredibly influential to their teams have been, you know, the light in the darkness over, you know, the last six, seven years. You don't go too far down the list before you hit Alejandro Bedoya. And in the biggest game of his team's, you know, history, a team that he's been a part of since what, like 2016 and, has been such an, an influential member of, has been the captain, the leader, all of that. He didn't see the field because he was hurt. It's just so unfortunate. Uh, and I do want to uh, think of him, you know, I'm sure that he wasn't thinking about himself during the game because that's the kind of guy that he is. He was thinking about the team and just willing them to victory. But I, I do think of him uh, in, in a moment like this. And obviously Chiellini, um, uh, that's, unfortunate for him as well and LAFC because I think he was also a, a really popular in that locker room as well but and him not getting to see that feel but you know for him I think it might be slightly different because even though you're hurt and even though I think of him you know I, the same way I think of Bedoya he has Serie A titles he has Euro championships Bedoya this was his moment and it's unfortunate that he didn't get to take the field for it any thoughts on that? Not too significantly because I think that it was the right decision. I, I really question if Keelini was healthy after after um, the Austin match. Um, and the the nice thing is, like, the fourth string center back for LAFC was an MLS Cup winner last year. Like, it, it, they are they have a wealth of riches that they can dip back into. Um, and Keelini has had some, you know... Uh, think to the hilarious yellow card that he got in RSL when he jumped up and volleyed a ball back with his hands. Um, that that's one match that, you know, if that's a, a draw instead of a win or a loss instead of a draw, then this match is in Philadelphia. And this 
entire situation changes. It's it's all of these little moments that accumulate over and in the length of a season that determine the fact that this game was played here. And it's it's again, soccer is a cruel sport. Seeing seeing Bedoya on the sideline as a coach figure was tough to see because you could just tell how much he wanted to be out there. It's it's this game contained joy and heartbreak in equal measure. It it's it was just incredible. Yeah. Yep, 100% agree. And like you said, to bring it all back to where we started, nothing separated these teams. It took a couple kicks from the penalty spot to do so over the course of an entire season. Anything goes differently, and maybe we're talking about something different. So many thousands of minutes that they played this season, and a couple kicks from the penalty spot were the difference. But it was the difference that saw LAFC win their first ever MLS Cup over the Union. 3-3 after 120 minutes plus nine and they needed all nine, but, uh, and then, then it was uh three O in penalties. Um, uh, union missed all three LAFC get penalties two, three and four to go. And with that, win MLS cup, it was an amazing MLS season. And I think at the end of the day, you saw the two most deserving teams battle it as far as they could. And then LAFC, the supporter shield winner, does the uh, the ever-elusive double and wins MLS Cup and Supporters' Shield in the same season. Both these teams we'll see in CCL. That draw actually happened, I believe, on Monday. Um, so both these teams will see uh, continental soccer uh, once more. But for LAFC, it is celebration time. I think Kellen Acosta was, act- was asked on stage at, at the USMNT uh, roster release, how much sleep have you gotten? And he's like, Basically none, uh, because you know they were they were partying hard as you know you should when you win MLS Cup. So that's basically all that we have on the ultimate game of M- the MLS season. But in the uh, days following, there have been a number of moves that have gone down in the league. Um, free agencies opened up, and uh, we have the official list for the expansion draft that will take place. I I don't know when it is. It's in the next couple of days. It's um, today. Is it? Oh, is it today? Or at that the day day of recording. Sure. That is. Yeah. So taking place. What do you say? About an hour and a half from now. Not even. Yeah, about an hour and a half from we're recording this. <laughs> uh, five five forty five on the east. Four forty five central time. Uh, St. Louis is going to pick. Uh, in the expansion draft, and we have that list of players. Uh, I'm sure when this comes out, you guys will already know who they've picked. But we'll uh touch on those and kind of the implications that those could have. So I do want to start um, a move that came out pretty early this week. Ben Olsen is back in the league. He's back as a head coach, this time with the Dynamo. Dynamo parted ways with Paulo Nagamura uh, at the end of the season. Uh, and Ben Olsen now fills that role of head coach uh, a year or a few years out after DC, but now he's back. And Andres, interesting on getting your take first. Anything that you really want to touch on regarding this move? Or is it kind of a wait-and-see situation, especially with the roster that Houston has? Uh, yeah, so I think Matt has some more stronger or stronger thoughts on, on this than I do. But in, in general, I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting move in terms of I, I would have, I'm surprised that Houston went in this direction. Uh, considering the that more recently they've been trying to 
go in a different route. First time head coaches, Todd uh, Ramos and, and Nagamura. Um, and, and Ben Olsen's a known quantity in the league. Uh, a more defensive, typically minded coach. You know, the term Benny Ball uh, was coined for, for the way that DC was playing for most of those years. Interesting, he, he made a comment uh, about how, and I'm paraphrasing because it's been a few days since I read it, about how basically Benny Ball was was something that had died in DC and, and his approach in Houston was going to be much more open and, and aesthetically pleasing. Uh, we'll, I guess, wait and see on that. Houston is one of those teams that, unfortunately for me, isn't one or two pieces or tinkers away from, from being competitive. I think it, it requires um, a pretty substantial uh, work through through the whole roster. They've already started by uh, by shipping off Rafa Pico. Um, I think there'll be many more moves to come here in the next few months. And, and I think it sort of feels like a project that's starting over. Um, but yeah, it's wait and see. I don't think it's particularly exciting, um, but it is a known quantity. Uh, and I guess after the last couple of experiences, they've decided to go with, with that experience in MLS. I'm, I'm really happy that you took the, the slightly more uh, hopeful approach to this hiring so that I can, I can give my, my true feelings on this. Um, this is one of the most painfully just absolutely horrible decisions that I've, I've seen from a team that is, you're right, not one or two moves from, from competitive, they're one or two moves from relevant. Like, they have such a tough time, or they've had such a tough time tapping into a great soccer market in Houston, despite the fact that they have a downtown stadium. They have some exciting players. They have uh, Achi Ache in midfield, who can hopefully be a part of getting into that that um, community. Uh, and they they reportedly interviewed some some coaches who I think were significantly more exciting. If they had actually gone out and gone for Hugo Perez, who uh, was the head coach of El Salvador through a World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, that's a, a coach to me who has shown how much impact he can have on with a team that has less talent than those around them. And they were exciting to watch. They had the, the stands behind them. Easier to do when you're wearing a national team crest, but still, they, they were able to tap into that. I, I am incredibly underwhelmed by this one. Love to Ben Olsen. I think he's an, a, a very, very nice guy. Um, but I just have no desire to see a team go back in, in, in where MLS is today. And I think that that's what I'm seeing in Houston today. That's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting take. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think that this this hire is just gonna. I'm not gonna say it's gonna flame out because I don't think it's going to. But I think it's just gonna be based a lot of what is Houston able to do with the roster? Because I don't think Paul Nagamura failed because he was a horrific coach. I think it didn't go because the roster wasn't at the point where he can start really being successful and winning games and you know providing something. I don't marketable for the fan base because there wasn't a lot to market. I like Sebas Ferreira. I like Pico, uh, Cantero, Carasquia. They're they're good players. I think it was just they no coach has been able to bring this team together and be able to 
make those players work cohesively. Now, Pico is off to Nashville, um, and we'll see how that goes for Nashville. I, I think it's kind of a new start for him, which is going to be nice. I think it was an interesting stat that you know Pico scored more goals last year at winger. Uh, I forgot who, who said, mentioned the stat. Then, or I think it might have been Club and Country, uh, our, our boy Tim. But either way, like Pico scored more goals last year from winger than either of Nashville's strikers. Or uh, besides, obviously besides Mutar, but like Sapong, Loba, like those those guys did not score as many goals as Pico did last year. So we could you know get into that, and that could be interesting. But I think touching more back on Houston is like it just wasn't that cohesive last year. Not something that just Nagamura struggled with. If Olsen can bring that more of a team building mindset to that roster, I think there could be something there. But they need to add pieces if they want to you know, start to get in that playoff contention because the last couple of years, it's just been pretty bad out of playoff contention pretty early, finishing low. It just hasn't been aesthetically pleasing. If you're able to, you know, put those pieces together, I think that you you can start to build something at the very least more aesthetically pleasing because Coco's Karaskia and Quintero and Ferreira are players to really build something off of. I like them a lot. If If he can capitalize on some of those players that you're talking about i'll be the first to say that you know egg firmly on my face but i just i don't think that's ever really what happened in dc uh and and i'm hoping that he can really turn over that next leaf because you also have a team that's starting to try to develop players they it, it it's one of those they're one of very few markets that i think only started their academy within the last five years or so um they there's a lot to work on in Houston and and I'm babe the jury's not out for me I think that this is a bad signing but I'm gonna hope for for Houston fans and friends like I just I'm I'm pessimistic and that's unfortunate yeah I hear you I, I think for me you know first things first get the team to get get a system in place get the team to start playing together. And I don't think that just Ben Olsen can do that job. So we'll see um, what he's able to do with that uh, roster and see where they're able to go. Andres, we did touch on a little bit. Anything more to add on uh, Pico being traded to Nashville? Anything you can see in that Nashville attack? Or, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of obvious what Houston's losing. Uh, do you want to touch on it more from a Nashville perspective? I think it's an, it's an interesting move. Um, I like Pico as a player. I like him in Philadelphia. Um, not as maybe not as successful when he was in Dallas. Uh, the Houston situation in general wasn't wasn't great. Um, and if you look at Nashville, uh, they made that trade for Schaffelberg about midway through the season, and he ended up being uh, one of their bright spots, a weapon off the bench for them. Um, so I think getting some additional winger help, uh, a good pressing winger who can also stretch the field a little bit. Um, could be a, a good under-the-radar move, and I don't think they overpaid. I think it was 100 k in GAM or something like that for him. So it's a, it's a flyer. It's not a huge investment, and I think in general it's a, it's a move that can, that can help them, and if it doesn't work out, it's not a, it's not a huge deal. And for Houston, I think they were, they're looking for some, you know, some extra flexibility as they start this process of figuring out where they want to go going into next year. Yeah, their uh, Houston salary cap uh, is is kind of in a really weird place, so that's part of the reason that I think this this move makes a lot of sense. And I think you're probably going to see potentially some other teams try and come in and try and pick some pick some meat off those bones. Um, 
I, I love this move from a Nashville perspective because of everything that uh, Andres was saying. Getting any support to Mukhtar, who I think had, what was it, 60-some percent of Nashville's goals this season, that's going to be massive. They need to find some way to get him some additional support to open up some space for him. That's exactly what Schaffenberg did. And that was a, another move that I did not think was going to be as successful as it turned out to be. Um, so I, I'm really excited. Papa Pico's always fun in this league because he just, he's exciting. Like he's so slash or slash and burn through back lines that I think that that gives Nashville another dimension, which I think should help them take another step forward. Yeah. Uh, I'll finish up on the Pico thing. Uh, goals for Nashville, and I'll throw Pico in there from uh, the 2022 season. Hani Mutar, 23. Fafa Pico, 7 and 2 assists as well in Houston. Uh, then CJ Sapong with 5. Teal Bunbury, 5. And then Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney, 4 and 3. No, mo- uh, no one other than Dave Romney, or no, sorry, no one else had more than um, two goals uh, on Nashville. So besides, you know, Sapong and Bunbury, strikers combining uh, uh, five goals apiece, there was nothing really coming from the front line of Nashville over the course of the entire year last year. Uh, Mutar was it. We've mentioned that so many times. He was literally their all. Um, 18 goals separating him and the second uh, most goal getter on the team. So I think it really, it really will be interesting to see how they try and incorporate Pico and his kind of, you know, shot creating goal creating actions um, into that, you know, that, that formation that is very defensively minded. They don't, you know, they don't try and attack high. They try and attack from the outside with those, you know, wingbacks flying up um Schaffelberg did a good job of that uh, mule tends to do a good job of that can they get more help maybe move pico inside and try and get more creation from the inside because if you you can't just rely on mutar um you're going to be in trouble and we saw that even just relying on hani can only get you so far they're going to need pico and as much support as they can get um in an attacking sense so we'll see what he's able to do uh, we'll move on. Andres, do you want to take us through the Derek Williams move? Yeah, maybe uh, an underrated an underrated uh, move. Uh, LA Galaxy moving on from Derek Williams, who I think was uh, you know pretty pretty decent uh, for them. And DC, who clearly needs center back help, uh, maybe slightly overpaying for for uh, an MLS experience center back. Um, not a blockbuster by any means. Uh, but maybe a under the radar type move uh, that if DC is is competitive mid year, we might be saying, "Hey, Derek Williams is you know doing pretty well for them and, and giving them a boost at the back." But um, all in all, I think Galaxy probably happy with with uh, Caceres, um and DC looking for for experience to plug into into a un. Uh, underwhelming roster at this point, to put it mildly. Yeah, and especially in a, a position that they need a lot of support at this moment. You know, they they've had some. They signed like six strikers over the last twelve months, so getting some support on on the defensive side of the ball, I think, should be a a pretty 
good move for them generally. Um, I still have relatively low expectations because I don't necessarily see how all of the pieces fit together, but he's a he's a starting level center back in Major League Soccer, and that's that's probably better than what they've had so far over the last couple of years. Yeah, I uh, kind of agree with all those takes. Not too much more to add. Um, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, Portland Timbers. Uh, this is, this is stuff you got when you signed Tom Bogart. I wouldn't have seen this anywhere except that, uh, here's the tweet from him. Sources, <clears throat> the Portland Timbers record deal to sign Evander from FC. I think you said like Michelin is all but done. Agreements in place just needs the final details and medical fee around $10 million from a team in Portland does not spend that much money on the regular Evander 24 is currently leading the Europa league and assist this season with five would join in January. This is a player that just by looking through the stats, he's uh, I believe he's six goals in 10 games uh, in the super Liga or sorry, four goals in 10 games in, in the Danish super Liga, uh, a guy who's leading the Europa league in assists. That's not too bad. Uh, not a bad pickup for the Timbers. I think the question is, will it be worth the money, especially from a team of the Timbers that we know does not, you know, they don't do the LAFC, you know, as we might coin it. Uh, they don't just go out and sign big names and shop big in Europe. Ten million, not a small fee. So, Matt, I'm interested in, um, you know, hearing what, you know, what, what do you think this move could bring them? Do you think it's a move that's based out of necessity or a move that's based out of the pure upside? Uh, I, I think a little bit of both is is the only answer. Um, I, FC Midtjylland is a, a very, very solid team in, in uh, Denmark. Um, is Denmark Danish? Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that he's going to be one of the top, you know, 25, 50 players in Major League Soccer when we're talking about this profile. Um, the... More interesting thing to me is the knock-on effect after, because I think there's already been some rumors swirling around Eric Williamson, um, who was a, a coach's choice to to not play on the last day of the season on a in a match that determined whether or not they were going to make the playoffs. Um, there seems to be something there, and if you're if you're bringing in a really really talented high high value player like Evander. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see which MLS teams are going to be circling around Eric Williamson. And there's going to be quite a few, like just fact of the matter. There's so many teams that could use that ability. Number one to disrupt play and the ability to actually progress the ball. That is, he's one of the best linking players in the league. And I, I think that's going to be one of the hot spots for the tra- transfers uh, window coming up. Yeah. Um, I don't know a ton about him. Obviously, I, I've never seen him play. But just going through the stats, like this is a guy who we're talking about. He's a center midfielder. He's not a, a, a striker. He's not a winger. And yet he has four goals in 10 games in the league. In the Europa League, he has a goal and four assists in six games. His, his you know, statistics at the very least from where he's playing on the field he's 24 it seems like this guy's legit and it seems like especially if they're going to move on from eric williamson he could be that next big guy in the midfield if they're able to keep eric williamson i guess the more the merrier you pair up two very very good center midfielders in there i'm interested to see what he's able to do in major league soccer a player who hasn't you know come in with all the hype 
but seems to be producing at a pretty high level um, in, in Europe. Uh, Andres, any thoughts on this move and the Timbers more generally? So I, I also haven't seen him play, but from what I understand, uh, reading the reports, I think he plays a little bit further up the field, more as a as a ten ish type of player. So I'm I'm thinking that this may be a Sebastian Blanco uh, replacement type move. You know, Blanco's been um, very good while on the field, but consistent due to injuries the the last couple of years. Really, since um, MLS is back, uh, that that's what now two and a half years of on and off and on and off. So I'm thinking that's kind of where this is headed. That said, there's definitely some smoke about the about the Williamson uh, situation. Clearly, was not uh, in a happy place at the end of the season. And and I think you know he's one of the best eights in the league. Um, and definitely, um, if not now, he's got the potential to become one of the best eights in the league. Uh, so if I'm an MLS team, I'm I'm trying to get um, Eric Williamson somehow on my roster. Uh, regardless of what happens with Evander. Um, and, and, you know, if the Timbers end up losing Williamson uh, to have lost both Ibobasi and Williamson uh, in a span of, what, like a year and a half uh, for for two guys that seems like they underappreciated them while they were in Oregon, um, it's got to be pretty tough as a, as a Timbers fan. But, but the other move for Evander, I think, uh, it seems like it's, it's going to happen. It seems like he's a high-quality player, like you said, based on where he's playing and the numbers he's putting up. But I think it's more of a attacking role rather than a central midfield role. Yeah, uh, we'll see. And you, you make a good point. I mean, either way, right, they, he could very well be replacing a, a key member of the Portland Timbers as we know it. So we'll see if his you know impact is you know more of an addition or if it's more you know, maybe a slight upgrade or kind of filling the boots of one of those other players. We'll see. Interested to see what he's able to do. Always love seeing when a player that I haven't watched comes into MLS from Europe, a player who we know has a certain amount of hype around him, see what he can be. Um, I, I can't wait to see it. Um, last big move, I'd say, uh, in MLS, as we kind of uh, close up on these kind of individual moves, isn't really a move more so a departure. Junior Urso, uh, I think the reports are that he's heading back to Brazil, uh, will be leaving Orlando City uh, due to personal reasons. We hope that whatever those personal reasons are, it, that it's all right. Um, on the field, Matt, I'll start with you. The loss that Orlando City is going to get, they lose a guy in Urso that is just... he's was masterful for them in the midfield, so key in winning Open Cup, their first ever trophy. What's the loss going to be like now that Urso will uh, be heading back to Brazil? I think it's going to be pretty big, un- unfortunately. Like, I... Urso's one of those players who is never the, you know, most impactful through 90 minutes, but always pops up in incredible moments. Uh, I think specifically to the Open Cup this year. Um, I, I Just... He brings a different dimension to those games, and I, I think he brings a lot more mobility through midfield, which is not necessarily what Orlando has had. Um, I'm I'm bummed to to see him go, truly, because I think he was also just a really entertaining player. Uh, MLS un- has this weird uh, lack of personalities, uh, which 
I think is changing, but it needs to move a little bit quicker. And I think that Ursa was closer to being a personality. There was something to, you know, him having that that bear uh, celebration. There was something to his connection to those fans. Um, he's going to be tough to replace, you know. Like you said, really hope that whatever the personal reasons get through and get figured out as, as uh, amicably as possible. Um, but I'm going to miss having him in the league. That's it, It's a pretty big loss. Yeah, Andres, final thoughts on Urso, especially, you know, a player of his importance, a player of his quality, you know, losing him from Orlando City and the personality is, is going to be pretty immense. Yeah, it's unfortunate. He's uh, he's one, he's a, he's a good player, um, but he's also a consistently healthy player. Um, you can lock him in um, into that starting 11 for Oscar Pereja and, and pretty much know what you're going to get. And then recently he's been a versatile player. You know, him and Mauricio Pereira basically flipped positions this year. And he moved further up the field where he had previously been as an eight. And and that kind of sparked Orlando into into that run where where they end up making the playoffs um, and, and winning Open Cup after that switch of position. So I think it's a... Even though he's on the other side of 30, he's 33 now, I still think it's a pretty... It's a pretty big, big loss for them, and uh, it's unfortunate that you know these things happen um, when people have to you know go from country to country, and and they have their own personal situations. So hopefully it works out, and I think unfortunately for Orlando, they'll 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 miss out on a on a, another year or two of a of a really really solid, pretty good MLS player. So yeah, sorry to see him go as well. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um... And last thing I want to touch on in MLS before we move on to the USMNT uh, to close out the pod is the expansion draft, as we said, happening tonight uh, as we speak. Um, St. Louis City uh, will, you know, they'll pick from a host of MLS players that I think have a lot of quality and can bring a decent amount to a team in St. Louis that. You know, they have Roman Berkey as kind of one of those major signings, but we'll see what they're able to do because they haven't really started, you know, picking up players with the vigor that, you know, you might expect uh, with all the excitement surrounding them. It's still a pretty bare bones roster, I believe, at this point. A team that competed in um, MLS Next Pro, they they came in, uh, they were finalists in MLS Next Pro, but it's going to be a a different team. You can't just walk into MLS with that team. So the full list of available players is on MLSsoccer.com, but Tom Bogert has an article where he breaks down kind of the, the main players that you would you know, think um, that St. Louis would be looking at uh, pretty early in the expansion draft. And I'll just list out those names and we can go from there. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, we just mentioned him, is available. Dax McCarty is as well. Tyler Miller. Alex Mule, Will Trapp, Tim Parker, Nick DePew, Chinya Shiki, Guzman Carujo, Patrick Clamala, Gustavo Bo, uh, Ake Loba, uh, Pozuelo. Um, is, is, he's out of contract. Let's just be clear about him. Um, uh, Jackson Reagan as well. So we have a whole host of players that are available. Um, Pozuelo kind of being that weird one that he's just out of contract right now. Um, so probably not. He probably wouldn't be on their, you know, radar in terms of a player they would want to go after. But at least in the expansion draft, we're talking about pretty major players here: Bedoya, Mule, Shinashiki. Um, 
players that can have an immediate impact for this team. So, Andres, I'll start with you. Where do you think that St. Louis is going to go in the expansion draft? Um, if you had your kind of first overall pick that you would want to shout out, um, who do you think that they're going to try and go for? And then on the flip side, what loss would that player uh, be for the team that they're currently on? Yeah, it's a, I've got no idea where they're, where they're going to go. These, these expansion drafts, um, they're, they're actually quite complicated um, in the sense that a lot of times the players that are chosen aren't chosen with the intent of actually keeping them there. There's a lot of times that teams pick players that they know other teams want in order to flip them and have leverage or in order to trade them back to their original teams. So it's really it's really tough to say um, where, where you're going to go. Um, but, you know, one of the players you mentioned there, I think Jackson Reagan being a reasonably young center back uh, and a uh, not a homegrown, a, a non-foreign or, a, you know, U.S.-Canada-based player who so doesn't take a, a foreign roster spot. Um, we've seen over and over again with these expansion teams uh, building a solid foundation, building it out of uh, American and Canadian players and not using your foreign spots on them, uh, on those players, um, and, and building a strong center back. That's that's the way to start, and then you can kind of fill in your, your luxury players around that. I think that'd be an interesting move. Uh, to go, and I think Seattle is one of those teams that could probably afford it if if he gets taken. So it's I think that'd be one of those moves where you you would take him to play him rather than try to trade him back to Seattle or something like that. So that that'd be one I'd be looking out for. Um, I I could see something like Shinichiki, um, who just came out of Colorado and proved that he could play somewhere else as well in Charlotte. Um, also having. Um, that sort of impact uh, at a winger, somebody that knows the league um, coming in. So those are some interesting ones uh, for me, uh, outside of the obvious uh, Bedoya, Dax type moves that um, I think come with some more uh, baggage or not maybe not baggage, but are more complicated situations. I don't think you pick an Ali Bedoya just to, just to keep him. You probably then negotiate with Philadelphia after that. Yeah, uh, and quickly, Matt, before I go on to you, you mentioned about the convoluted nature of the expansion draft, Andres. We remember last year, you know, Charlotte picks uh, Ismail Tajari Shradi, and quickly he's shipped off to NYC, right? Like, or, or was it New England? Yeah, it was New England, I think. That happens um, in drafts like this with a great amount of regularity. So if you see a name come up on the screen, don't lock in that name. Don't go out and buy the jersey because that name might be shipped off uh, in the coming days, coming hours. Uh, so, so we'll see if all those names that they pick will stay in the St. Louis jersey. I doubt it because that's just generally not how it happens. That's a great point that you bring up. Matt, Yeah, one or two names that you're looking at and obviously the reverse effect, losing um, their, their previous teams losing them uh, and their impacts. Yeah, I'm I'm looking more towards what I think their system should kind of be set up. And uh, St. Louis's coach is Bradley Carnell, who came up through the Red Bull system. Um, and I, you know, this is also coming directly from uh, from Tom Bogert. But Alex Moyle fills a, a, a spot of need because they do not have much on the or in the fullback position at the moment. Carnell knows him, and I think that Moyle has shown himself to be. 100% at the MLS level. He has found ways to impact the game either going forward more when he was with the Red Bulls 
or now defensively with Nashville and having that um, having that experience is going to be a big, big factor. Um, I'm also kind of wondering if they don't try to take a, a swing at a player who I don't think they'll pick him up through the expansion draft, but Jesse's artist is out of contract. And I think having somebody with that league experience who has shown that he can score goals would be a really good signing. I, I wonder if they don't take a, a swing at him. I also just know that Kansas City and uh, St. Louis love each other so so very, very much. So if they try to take one of our players, I'll be very, very upset, especially if they take Roger Espinosa. But I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you and uh, your SKC ways, Matt, can probably take it easy on that one. But I will say that if I had to pick one, I think I was thinking a mule, uh, maybe a Reagan, just because a age, right? If you're planning on you know building around this player, you don't want them to be a player like Bedoya or like Dax, who could call it quits in a year or two, you know, not undeservedly because these players are you know in their mid thirties, have put in the years, uh, and you know would be within their rights to you know hang up the boots and uh, in just a little bit because they've you know they've accomplished everything that they need to, um. For a guy like Reagan, particularly young, you got like Mule, you know, who's kind of, you know, he, he's he's had his years in the league, has definitely shown himself to be at the level, a great two-way fullback, like you mentioned, um, has been, you know, one of the bright spots uh, flying up the wing for Nashville when the attack hasn't been amazing. He's been a guy who you know can cause some trouble down the flank. Um, you know, if you're looking for a striker like Shinashiki, maybe you could go in that direction in the expansion draft. Though I, I think there is a certain amount of iffiness when you pick a striker just because you have to expect them to hit, right? A striker, you know, that you would pick in a draft like this might be one that you want to stand out. And I'm not sure if that's a fair expectation. Whereas, you know, you have a player like Mule or a player like Reagan, someone who can maybe, you know, be kind of a presence but someone who can kind of fit within a system particularly like reagan just a, a good center back who can play three back uh or a four back so maybe someone like him is I, I would go for and someone that hey if you're looking to move him on in a couple years time or even in the next couple days you know could possess some value whereas you know picking up one of those other guys to maybe try and you know shop around might not have that same value so yeah, interesting stuff uh, for St. Louis. We'll see where they go and see the direction that they really try and build this roster because it's crunch time now. Um, MLS is going to be back before we know it, and that roster has to be ready to go. If it's not, then there's going to be questions asked because they had all this time. And so you really need to kick it into gear with a lot of those MLS league signings that you know can produce at this level. Uh, we'll see where they go in the expansion draft that's going to happen tonight. And I'm sure... If anything major happens, we'll be here to break it down sometime in the very near future. So that's about all uh, for our MLS stuff on this pod. But because we are a U.S. soccer pod, not just exclusively an MLS pod, we have the roster. We have all those, you know, the crazy takes uh, on Twitter and all that good stuff. It was released uh, this Wednesday to, you know, a certain amount of um, ire amongst the fan base. Because of really one or two big decisions. Overall, I think it's a very solid roster. And I think we can go position by position. Um, and that's where I think we can start. Uh, unless either of you have really big overall thoughts on the roster. I'll kick it off with the goalkeepers. 
this was one of the bigger decisions that Greg Berhalter had to make has kind of gotten buried because I'm not sure there's a ton of controversy necessarily in it. But a guy who was one of Greg's guys, even back to Greg's MLS days, is Zach Steffen. And Zach Steffen, even though he started basically every game that he was available for in World Cup qualifying, will not be at the World Cup. Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath, and MLS's own Sean Johnson are the USMNT goalkeepers uh, for the World Cup. Go quickly uh, through the ones that, that we kind of agree on. Andres, uh, I guess first overall thoughts on the roster and when it comes to the goalkeepers, do you agree with these three selections? Um, yes. I'll just touch on the goalkeepers. I guess we're going to go line by line or position by position. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is for me super surprising. Uh, not necessarily based on Zach Steffen's performance. Um, unfortunately, now over the course of nearly three years, um, especially, uh, maybe not especially, because he's he had some rough moments for Man City and for Dusseldorf as well. Um, but but in the USMNT jersey, he had some pretty rough outings during during qualifying. But it seemed like this was a a no non negotiable Greg Burhalter guy. And if he was healthy and available, not only would he be on the roster, he was probably going to be starting. So the fact that he's left them completely off um, in that debate over, you know, Turner, Stefan, uh, who was going to get the start is not going to happen. Um, that's hugely surprising for me and, and a little bit maybe, maybe harsh on Stefan that he's not on the roster at all. But hopeful that at least it seems like Greg... Uh, Berhalter here is seeing some of the some of the faults that that cost them there during qualifying. So um, I, in general, tend to agree with the with the three guys. Um, I'm just surprised that it, it went down that way. Yep, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. You know, I am I really up in arms over who, in my opinion, would be our third string goalkeeper because I I really like what John John has done this season. Uh, I'm I'm not too I, I can't really get my my uh, energy up that much for it. So I, I think that between Horvath and Stefan is kind of a coin flip because I think that they've both been all right, but Stefan's just had some some bad moments. And I think that those are just kind of sticking in, in the mouth a little bit. So uh, I'm I'm really I'm relatively happy with this and you know, fingers crossed it's it's Matt Turner for whatever eight matches it is to win the World Cup, you know. Yeah. No, I, I love Matt Turner. I've been behind Matt Turner the entire way, and I'm glad that, you know, it looks like he will be the goalkeeper in Qatar. No arguments there. Unfortunate for Stefan, because a player that might have been expecting the call, just based off what we know, we know how important World Cups are to all these guys, and so it is unfortunate, right, whenever you have to make one of those calls and be like, yeah, you've been my guy, but unfortunately, you have to take the guys who are in form and all that good stuff, and it's gonna, it has to be hard to hear. So. I guess commiserations out to Matt or to Zach Steffen, but it looks like it will be Matt Turner um, between the sticks in Qatar. Defenders: uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Serginho Dest, Aaron Long, Shaq Moore, Tim Ream makes his reappearance in the USMNT. Uh, Anthony Robinson, Joe Scally, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. Just a quick tally uh, by my count: we have four MLS defenders in that bunch. 
uh, I believe five guys from overseas, uh, four center backs, five outside backs, uh, if I'm not incorrect about that. Uh, and I think the big question is, we know that Robinson's going to be on the left. We know that Des is going to be on the right. We know that Zimmerman's going to be at one of those center back positions. The question is, uh, usually right center back for Zimmerman. The question is, who will his partner be? Will it be Tim Ream, Aaron Long, or Cameron Carter-Vickers? We know that Miles Robinson has been out basically the course of the season. So disappointing for him. Chris Richards also, unfortunately, has had to miss due to injury. So already down two guys who might have been you know, occupying that position. Unless either of you have major qualms about the defender position or who you would like to see called in, uh, Matt, I'll start with you for this one. You can just kind of ride with who do you think should be partnering with Walker Zimmerman come the Wales game? For the Wales game specifically, I think that it should be Aaron Long. Um, but I think for the England match, I'm thinking it's more Tim Ream. And I think that there's a, a nice wrinkle that's going to be in, in or applied in this that... Uh, we have a little bit more situational defending, and I think both those guys have the ability to step up to that level. Ream has been very, very solid for Fulham this year, um, though their defense has not been great. But he's he's performed like he's been adequate to the to the ch- uh, to the call, and Fulham's pretty high up in the table at the moment. Um, and you're 100 percent right. Like again. If we get through the group stage and, you know, both Anthony Robinson and Serginio Dest have played 270 minutes, I'm really happy. I'm really, really happy with that. I think that both Yedlin and Scally could have moments they could come in and really add some support to the outside backs. But I think that we're really looking at those, that, that group of guys particularly. Yeah, Andres, thoughts on the defense? Unless, like I said with Matt, you have any strong opinions on who's in, who's out? Uh, thoughts on that center back partnership? Yeah, the, the uh, unfortunately the center back partnership is, you know, is kind of a, a weak point right now with Chris Richards not being available, with Miles Robinson getting hurt at the beginning of the year, um, with John Brooks uh, clearly out of favor and and not making a, a comeback. It seems like as as long as Burhalter's in in place, um, that's these are the names that you would have expected pretty much. So uh, right now, I think basically on form, on how it's been going, I think Aaron Long struggled a little bit. So I'm leaning towards Ream because he's been playing and c- consistently in the Premier League. So I'm guessing it's probably Ream and, and Zimmerman. Uh, but this is this is one of those areas center back where I've been kind of nervous about for the last six or so months. So it's uh, it hasn't changed a whole lot in my my opinion in the last couple months. Yeah, and I just you know quickly before we move on. You know, big congrats to Tim Ream. This is a guy who's put his head down at the age of like what thirty five, and has continued to grind and work. You know, we thought it was done. He, his last match, I believe, was that opening qualifier against El Salvador. He played in that one, uh, and hasn't played for the U.S. since. And now it looks like he'll have a shot to get back in the roster and make a difference on the biggest stage. Yeah, Good do, for him, man. Do, do not underestimate us, the thirty five year olds. We're we're, <laughs> yes. we're we're about six days apart in age wise, so. Hey, oh, no, that. that's a... yeah, that's actually so funny. Uh, and, you know, for what it's worth, the average age of this roster gets driven up by Tim Ream. If Tim Ream's not there, maybe that stat looks a little younger and a little, you know, one of those more eye popping stats. But hey, we'll see what Tim Ream's able to do uh, come this World Cup and see if he's able to get on the field uh, and partner with Zimmerman. 
Uh, midfield, I'll start with you, Matt. I don't think that there's a ton here. I could have probably named all of these players. Uh, there's that interesting addition of Brendan Aronson to the midfield bunch. We'll see what that means. But the names are Aronson, Acosta, Adams, Luca De La Torre. It looks like he'll be able to come back from his injury in, in enough time, as will McKenney to be all right for this World Cup. Uh, Yunus Musa, Christian Rodon. I'm not sure there's a single surprise there. You know, I don't think so. You might say that Roldan is a bit of a surprise, um, but I think that he's such a good locker room guy that, and, you know, again, am I going to get up in arms over the, you know, 24th guy out of, uh, you know, 26? No, I'm not. Like, I think that he can play an impact, whether that be on the field or off. Um and I do want to say this this group is where I have the player that I just am so excited to watch in Yunus Musa. I'm I cannot wait to see what he does with this team because I think he's gonna be vital to taking them to the next level. So I'm really excited about this group. I like the inclusion of Aronson because I think that having his pressure and running and dis or, uh, disruption could be really, really good for them. Um largely no issues whatsoever. Yeah. Uh I was gonna say the same thing. Musa easily the player most excited about this could be the kind of moment and obviously not to put the pressure there but like just in terms of analyzing it this could be one of those moments that you see a player who's has good value young player 19 years old become one of those players that's like because of his age can pop off on the world scene go you know 45 50 million and start pushing those those you know monetarial limits because of how good he's been uh in a big game like in the World Cup. We see this happen all the time. Can his value be driven up by the performance that he puts out on the pitch? It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. The 19-year-old is just so, so good. I can't wait to see what he's able to do. Andres, any qualms with the midfield? Uh, not huge. I, I think you, you could make an argument for Malik Tillman um, or James Sands. Uh, to fill one of those places, you know, if you want to see out a game, especially with Sands or, or something like that. But I'm like, Matt, like, okay, maybe Roldan is a little bit of a surprise to make it, but I'm I'm not going to get upset about it. He, I, I sincerely doubt that that our World Cup hopes are are hanging on, on that. It's going to be Musa McKinney, Adams, uh Aronson to a lesser extent De La Torre um, and Rodon is ver- versatile enough familiar enough with the system and good in the locker room so it's you know not upsetting to me maybe maybe slightly surprising yeah and now we can move to the forwards the one that everyone uh, everyone has had a their peace of mind to share um, start with the names Jesus Ferreira Jordan Morris Christian Pulisic Gio Reyna Josh Sargent Tim Weah, and the very last name announced at the roster drop drew all the gasps. Haji Wright is back with the USMNT. It looked like he was dead, and now he is 100% alive and will be one of the 26 going to the World Cup. Andres, I'll start with you. Initial thoughts. Haji Wright is on. Both Ricardo Pepe and Jordan Pifok are not. So obviously the most uh, volatile area of the team and the the one that everybody's kind of questioned for the last year and a half, um, up and down, Sargent was for sure in, then for sure out, then back in. 
Herrera's been pretty consistently in for a while. Pepe was obviously in and then now obviously out. Um, interesting to hear from Burhalter. He said in choosing Haji Wright um, and in choosing Ferreira that PFOC was basically up against Haji Wright and it was going to be one of those two and that Pepe was up against uh, Ferreira and it was going to be one of those two. So definitely an eye towards not necessarily the the best overall team, but trying to figure out situations where cer certain players might need to be used um, and fitting profiles to those situations. Um, interesting <laughs> is is maybe is maybe one word for it. Surprising, definitely. Um, I fully expected to see uh, Pepe on the roster. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. We haven't seen a, a ton of Haji Wright. Again, I don't think you see a bunch of him, but if you need a body in the box in the 80th plus minute to try to get you an equalizer, um, and you're, you've got a bunch of second balls, that's where you're, you're maybe bringing him on and, and throwing him up there. So definitely situational um, situa uh, selection from, from Berhalter, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we will 100% see how it plays out. Um, just quickly, uh, Chris Smith uh, tweeted this, that uh, only nine players have more combined GNA in the Eredivisie this season um, than Ricardo Pepe. Eight of those nine that have more than him are at either Ajax, PSV, or Feyenoord, like the big teams. So Ricardo Pepe for the 14th place team um, in the Eredivisie has been killing it. Uh Haji Wright, to be fair to him, nine goals in 12 games uh, with Antalya Spor in the Super League. So, uh, you know, that he's been scoring his fair share of goals. This isn't a player that's out of form. But after Burhalter's comments in the Nations League, like how Haji, like, just, you know, didn't have his night, you know, and like that, that whole thing, I thought he was done forever. And apparently he's not. Matt, thoughts on this? Is this kind of crazy? The, the one area that you really, really were surprised by? Yeah, this, this is the surprise. And, and again, it kind of goes back to soccer's just a really, really cruel game because you can only have 26 guys. And this is, I did not see this coming in the least. Um, I'm excited for Haji Wright. I think that he has an opportunity um, to get out there. You know, we have both uh, Ferreira and Sargent, who I think are probably starting over him at this point in time, but they both also have the ability to either move outside or uh, for it drops down a little bit deeper or is more of a, a true 10. Um, there, there's an opportunity for him to go ahead and come through. Uh, and I think that, you know, the stereotype of, of the leagues is that the RDVZ is a little bit easier to score in than the Turkish league. But I, I, again, I don't, I don't have the, um, full you know scope of, of knowledge to really be able to speak to that but nine goals in 12 games is a really really good return i think the profile of those players we were just talking about it you know set pieces are going to have an outsized impact and so putting up i i can't convert from metric at the moment but 193 centimeters of of haji right versus you know 180 or 185 of, of Ricardo Pepe, you know, maybe that's part of, of the reason just to have another different look. I, I'm, I'm heartbroken for, uh, for Ricardo Pepe, but I'm, I'm hopeful that Haji Wright can show through on, on this trust that Greg's given them. 
Yeah, a player in Pepe who scored the two goals to maybe save Greg's job at the end of the first window of qualifying, righted the ship. This team is going to Qatar, maybe in no small part because of Pepe's, you know, two goals in that game and the one that followed in the Jamaica game. He was big in qualifying, started a lot of games, started the U.S.'s last game against Saudi Arabia in that, you know, final friendly. And now, even though he's been killing it with Groningen, will not be on the roster. It really is sad uh, for him and for PFOC, a player who, you know, opened his tally, has since regressed a little bit, but has re- was sort of really, really hot in the Bundesliga uh, with Union. Um, and it's so unfortunate for him as well. But that's the roster. And unless either of you guys have a ton more thoughts or really need to get something off your chest, that's going to do it for another week on the MLS Bench podcast. It is the end of an MLS season, but we will roll right into the World Cup and right into everything that comes after that. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Next week will be all World Cup talk. We'll give you roster predictions, everything uh, related to the World Cup and the United States of America as they head uh, to the Middle East to take on three very tough teams in the, I mean, the biggest stage that there could possibly be in the U.S. is back, and that makes it all the more sweet. So stay tuned for our next pod. You know, everyone, you know, a download, a retweet, that always helps. But until next time, thank you so, so much for listening. Enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. And we will see you then.